Welcome to the Right Bench Podcast, the product of the Left Bench. It's Logan Hill, Noah Ferguson, alongside Katie Marr and Kevin McNulty, executive producers of the Left Bench TV. We're here on the car ride home from the Big Ten Tournament in Indianapolis. And what a couple of days it has been. Uh, Noah, I'll let you start. What was it like for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I've never been in the car for this long all at once. We're all in the car together, I-470 East at the moment the whole gang is in here so it was a it was a real fun real fun experience um some it was uh getting to see everything up close and personal was an experience that uh that i'll I'll remember for forever so this was this was a ton of fun and some great basketball that we saw a ton of great basketball we just listened to probably the best game of the tournament so far of course on the radio but i mean eight games in two days was so much fun Quarterfinals a great day of the Big Ten tournament, even though, as we'll get to, Maryland wasn't playing. It would have been nice to see Maryland do a few more games. We could have covered them, but, you know, the game they had was obviously insane, so. Yeah, it was definitely one of those experiences that you just got to kind of take a step back and take it all in while you're there because it doesn't happen a lot. It was a lot of fun and even cooler to have, to be able to have press access and we watched the games yesterday and be, to be able to just go to the post games if we wanted to. We went and we saw Izzo talk. We went and saw the last post game of the night after Purdue Penn State. But I guess we should start with the Maryland game. Maryland, Michigan State. The Terps fell on the second day of the tournament, 76 72. And just one at a time, we'll just kind of go through. We all had a different angle on it. Uh, Katie and Kevin, you guys were on the baseline filming. I was on press row. And then Noah, you were up a little bit higher. So we'll start with you guys over by the Maryland bench. Kind of take us through the whole game from start to finish for you guys. Well, we're going to talk about the, the final 90 seconds probably more than anything. Yeah. Um, I know in our highlight packages that was about half of what we talked about was those final 90 seconds. But from the get-go, you could see that Ayala and, and Fats Russell came to play. Uh, they each had a couple of threes in the first half. And... You had to expect that from Maryland, the way they had been playing, you know, winning four or six coming into the tournament. Um, They were feeling themselves. They just caught a Tom Izzo team in March, which is never fun um, and an unfortunate uh, way to go out and and end their season. But in that first half, Michigan State shot the lights out too. I mean, there was just not a whole lot Maryland could do to stop Max Christie, Gabe Brown, and where the damage was really done for the Terps was in the front court. Caduce Wahab and Julian Reese, we've talked about in the, what, 48 hours since the game, zero points combined just can't happen. That's not how you win games in the Big Ten tournament. Marcus Bingham for Michigan State was outstanding from start to finish, so that was that was tough for Maryland, and that was probably where the game was lost there in the first half. A nine-point deficit at halftime, and I'm sure we'll talk about the way they fought back after being down 20 with 13 minutes to go. Yeah, I mean, Michigan State shooting 57% from the field in the first half, kind of the dagger in it before the second half even started. You can't lack like that on defense and then expect to be down by 20 with what five minutes left in the game and then make a comeback which is obviously what they tried to do but 
I mean, we were saying leading up to the game, there's no version of this where Maryland makes it to the next round if Fats and Ayala aren't dropping 20 points each. Fats obviously did. He had 20 points on the night. Ayala was close with that. Um, but the backcourt really was the only thing keeping them in the game. Like Kevin said, Caduce and Julian had zero points. And usually Caduce isn't a big producer there points-wise. We see him at the beginning of every game, and then he kind of just disappears. And then we see a lot more Julian. Maybe there's just no center in there at all. They'll put X in instead, um, go heavy on the defense there. But like I said, there was no version of this where Maryland was going to beat Tom Izzo in March if Fats and Eric weren't performing. Like, they kind of have this whole second half of the season. But, yeah, it was a little bit just too little too late. Close game. Heartbreaking for Maryland. And we heard Izzo post game give Russell and Ayala a lot of credit. I mean, obviously that was the second game they played in five-day stretch. That game that they played in College Park a little over a month ago, Maryland took them down to the wire. It was a two-point loss. Obviously came up short in all three, but Izzo gave credit where it was due for Russell and Ayala. They fought um, until the very end. And I will say, from our perspective, sitting right by the Maryland bench, they knew they had nothing to lose coming into this tournament. Uh, Below 500, not where they wanted to be. Obviously, they started the season ranked in the top 25, not where they expected to be. And they obviously didn't expect Danny Manning to be their coach at this point. But there was a lot of energy over there. They really wanted to win that game. That's the reason they came back, and they just came up short. Yeah, Fats and Ayala were saying in the post-game press conference, you know, they didn't want it to be their last game in a Maryland uniform. And fortunately for them, it was. But, you know, Fats was saying... There were three seniors on the court that day, four if you count Simon Wright, um, and they just got desperate in the end. They didn't want it to be their last game, and that's why they made such a comeback. No, I wanted I want to turn it to you now. You were sitting up higher, away from the court. What was it like for you to to watch that whole game and kind of just cover it from almost a bird's eye view? Yeah, it was cool. It's different than when you're covering a Maryland game in College Park. Obviously, we have our, our same seat. Um, for, for every game but one thing that I'll say kind of to Katie's point with with the hot early shooting um, for Michigan State from where I was sitting the defense didn't look like it was uh, it, it was extremely bad Michigan State was hitting tough tough shots made I think six of their first seven I mean granted Marcus Bingham he, he was he was having his way down low but um, some of the three-pointers that Michigan State was was making um, were really – it was a backbreaker early, but um, credit to Maryland for, for hanging in there. Um, you know, coming into the game, we all really – we all thought – at least what I was saying was it's really hard to beat a team three times. Michigan State obviously beat them earlier in the season and then um, beat them again a week ago. So um, – credit to Michigan State for for sticking sticking with it there um, because that's a that's a trap game when you've already beat a team a week ago um, so uh, coming at it kind of from up top um, it was a it was a cool experience to see it uh, kind of almost on on top of it um, just because it's a different perspective on the game you can really see everything um, 
so so that was that was super cool and I mean I don't know what would have happened if Fats Russell were to hit that three at the very end coming back down from what was it was it 14 with six minutes left something like that they that would have been incredible and um uh yeah that that it was it was it was an awesome experience as we talked about and and logan you you were over um you were in in the press row down right by the court so um what was that experience like for you it was it was definitely surreal i'd never watched and covered a game from that angle so to speak and uh, it was something that Kevin and Katie kind of talked about all year, being closer to the court, closer to the bench, being able to hear the guys talk during the game. That was something that was definitely interesting for me. But I had a special angle on that play at the end before Russell even got to attempt that shot. That ball that Ayala forced off of Michigan State, it went out right in front of me and the other writers. And we didn't, we didn't know until they made the call, but one of the most pivotal moments of the game right in front of our faces and just trying to write the gamer for that game over the course of the second half it's when it gets to 20 you're like okay let's try to tie up these loose ends let's figure out how we're going to tell this story in Maryland's last game of the year and then they just start coming back they a 9-0 run a 14-3 run later and get it down to a possession a couple of times and then they go down by as much as six and as much as four and to just have a shot to win it I think and you guys have hit on a lot of it already a microcosm of what this season has been fighting back getting close but not close enough and just I, I think it's important to note that this team to just have a shot to win it in the final seconds that's that's a big deal they didn't pull it all the way off they didn't move on to the, another game of the next day but for a year that has been unlike any for a long time in Maryland basketball history there's a lot of moments that you can still kind of figure out a way to hang your hat on and I think that's important but we, we just kind of went through the whole game. Let's go back and let's talk about that final uh, three-minute stretch. Over the final 226, Maryland was able to force seven Michigan State turnovers. And we, we heard it from Izzo in the postgame. He was kind of perplexed. He said he wasn't sure if he was allowed to say that he was angry. Um, he used some different words. But uh, for you guys just trying to videotape it or Noah watching it up top, what was it? When it was all happening in real time, what was kind of going through your mind and how were you trying to process it in that moment? Well, Logan, I mean, you said it just a second ago that nobody thought they would come back, including me. I turned to Katie um, about the 13-minute mark yeah. when they were down 20, and I said they were buried. And I really thought that. I believe it was 57, 37, around there. And they did come back. And... The main reason was probably their press defense, forcing those turnovers from Michigan State, which you don't expect a Tom Izzo team to just keep turning the ball over like that. And the credit has to be on Maryland for forcing those turnovers because they really wanted the ball back in every possession. That's the way they crawled back in was getting those turnovers. And credit to Danny Manning for you know putting that press defense on. Michigan State's not used to being pressed. It's not a typical way to um, play defense in the Big Ten, but when you're down 20 in late in the second half, midway through the second half, they didn't really have a choice, and they did it to perfection. And on a couple of times when they got it back, they turned it into points. And that was the big thing. On that play where it went out of bounds when Maryland was down two, of course they went and reviewed it, was originally called off of Eric Ayala and then they changed the call so it was off of Michigan State and Fats Russell had that shot 
and we can talk about that shot. Russell was the hot hand. I believe it should have stuck with him. I didn't hate the step back three, but if you look at the second half and the way Maryland was scoring throughout that second half, it was Russell and Ayala mostly, Akeem Hart a couple of times as well, going to the rim and going to the free throw line. And down two, you got to trust your 85% free throw shooter. You know, if he gets fouled to knock down two free throws, and I think he would have. Again, I didn't hate the shot, but maybe the move there was to go to the rim and maybe end up on the free throw line. Hindsight's 20-20, but just unfortunate that that didn't fall for Russell. Would have put him up one with about six seconds to go. Yeah, I mean, from our point of view on the baseline, like Logan, you were asking what that was like for us in the in those few minutes. Very stressful because we're not only are we trying to intake everything that's happening, but we're also recording it and our hands aren't exactly free to take notes of what's happening. So it's a lot of like putting the camera down, taking my phone out, trying to write tiny little notes so that I can easily remember things when I'm trying to go back and make my gamer for it. Um, but I, like Kevin said, we looked at each other with like, like 13 minutes left and we were like, no way, no way is this happening. And then the final few minutes, we just kept looking at each other like, what is going on right now? And I mean, we could hear everything happening on the bench. Um, usually we're not that close to the bench, but we were right next to them. Um, so, I mean, they were obviously disappointed, but I agree with Kevin. It should have gone to Russell, but like he said, hindsight's twenty twenty. There's always things that you're going to say they should have done, but in the moment, Eric Isle has been there for four years. He's had plenty of clutch threes before, um, but I can only imagine what it would have been like if either of them hit those threes they were trying to get in the final 30 seconds. Yeah, and I mean, looking at it from up top, obviously we can give a lot of credit to Fats Russell and Eric Ayala, deservedly so. They really carried the load, especially because their their big men weren't producing at all. Um, but I think a lot of credit needs to go to Xavier Green down the stretch. Uh, multiple steals um, down the stretch to to really keep the keep the four. You said four total steals. Yeah, he finished up with four steals in the game. Yeah, four four total steals for Xavier Green, and that's really the benefit of having a grad transfer, especially one that's savvy on defense because he has an experience with the game, and those those situations are tailor made for players that have have been. I mean, he hasn't been in a Big Ten tournament, but he's been around the game. He's the oldest player in the Big Ten. Um, so he's been around the game, and he can make those impact plays down the stretch. So as much as the numbers, Fats' 20 points and Ayala's big plays down the stretch have or kind of captivated our attention, um, Xavier Green's performance really impressed me. Um, I, don't know, I don't know about you guys, but uh, he, he was really – not, and no pun intended, the X factor um, down the stretch, although they, they couldn't pull out the victory. And the one steal that sticks out in my mind, it was actually Akeem Hart that swiped it out of the Michigan State guard's hands, and an X dove on the floor yep. came up with it. That turned into a Maryland bucket. But if you watch this Maryland team all year, Xavier Green just plays tough defense, and when Maryland's pressing like that, He's going to come up with those steals. It wasn't that surprising to me to see him do that. I mean, just another guy you're right, Noah, that fought his heart out till the very end. Yeah, I think there's been a fair share, mainly Caduce, of transfers 
people were expecting a lot of things from and maybe didn't pan out that way. Um, but Xavier Green, I've been saying all season, very underrated. He doesn't produce as much offensively because he's so good on defense. And those steals that he gets, he, he's got a lot of really clutch steals in games um, when he's playing his hard defense. But, I mean, he definitely, as Noah said, was the X factor. And he is someone that Maryland really needed with Morcel leaving after last season. Um, they didn't have a key defender. You know, Hart has his moments. Scott Dante Scott has his moments. But Xavier Green was definitely what they needed on defense this year. And it's scary to think how many points could have been run up against Maryland all season if they didn't put in Green as much as they have been. And we've talked about not getting the production from the front court and how well Xavier Green played. He enters the he, – he comes on the court and he's part of what – you have to make a case for Maryland's best lineup at any given time this season. It's him, Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, Russell, and Eric Ayala. And that's the lineup they went through down the stretch and what would end up being their final moments. When that when that squad's on the court, it, it's reminiscent of the team that went to the, the NCAA second round last year. They didn't have a true center. And just playing that kind of defend who's in front of you mentality and it almost brought them all the way back, and it came up just short. I think that that lineup had the potential, but they went out and they did get a Caduce Wahab. Julian Reese came in. Those guys need minutes, and Marcus Bingham just dominated them at key moments of the game to keep Michigan State in front. So with that lineup out there, it gave them the best shot to almost come all the way back and do it. They just weren't able to complete the comeback. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's funny that uh, – that Danny Manning being the interim head coach, obviously a number one pick coming out of Kansas, a center, a, a big man, and, and Maryland's glaring weakness was the center position. So uh, I, I'm sure that everybody's in agreement uh, here that the, the big man position, the center, the, the forward, is going to be what needs to change for Maryland if they're going to have any sustained success. The Big Ten Conference is a huge conference. If you if you think about you know the Kofi Coburns of the conference, the Marcus Binghams, the 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 Zach Edies even. Um, if if you're not going to get any production, not even not even a point down low, it's it's going to be tough to win and sustain Big Ten games. Which I mean, it, it makes it even all the more impressive that. Um, they could they could stick with Michigan State down the stretch, even without any any uh, physical presence um, down low. Yeah, and I mean we talked about what Marcus Bingham did throughout the game, but especially in the first half. Julius Marble as well in a couple of turnarounds over Q, and that's probably when Manning realized that he was not going to get any use out of Wahab in that game. He played two minutes in the second half because Bingham and Marble pretty much got whatever they wanted. But let, let's talk about Max Christie and, and Tyson Walker. They were clutch. Besides turning the ball over, everyone on Michigan State was guilty of that. Christie and Tyson Walker extended Michigan State's lead back to six with a couple minutes left with a step back 15-footer from the free throw line. People on social media were upset that Maryland wasn't pressing on that specific possession. If you look at what they did besides that, I don't think you can complain about the way they played defense down the stretch. Even though they took the press off and Tyson Walker made them pay. And then it was the freshman, Max Christie, who iced the game after Russell missed that step back three with two clutch free throws to make it a two-possession game. Otherwise, 
if Christie misses one of those free throws with six seconds left, that three that Eric Ayala takes at the buzzer has a lot more on the line. Obviously, it could have tied the game. But Christie was just cool, calm, and collected. Hasn't had the greatest freshman season. Um, maybe that Michigan State fans were expecting from him a huge recruit. But, man, he did not play like a freshman down the stretch and really put the game on ice there in the final moments. For sure. And the the most important play of that sequence was the rebound that he just went up and got. And that's a moment when, if you're Maryland, you wish that you could have maybe had a big man on the floor that could have helped you out in that spot. But we talked about it too long already. They weren't getting the production they needed, so they go to Dante Scott at the five. And Christie's got the long reach, and he went up and just got it. He talked about it a lot in the post game about wanting that play more. So it just and Tyson Walker, like you said, he just hit that turnaround jumper. Maryland pulled off the press, able to do so. I don't think you want to give up a late foul there and kind of not give yourself a chance to maybe go win it. And so it just uh, you can ask, you can pick apart any part of that game desperation was what Maryland had and they almost completed the comeback all the way to play the next day but just came up short like they have unfortunately so much this season yeah and I guess we can reflect on the tournament overall even though it's not over we got Purdue Michigan State coming up right now we just watched Jordan Bohannon put away Indiana what a run from Indiana um, claiming their spot in the NCAA tournament. Looking like if Rutgers gets in, that the Big Ten will have nine teams in, the most of any conference once again. And you know the Big Ten's going to hear it if they don't have a team in the Final Four or the title game or win it all, that, oh, it's a regular season conference. They can't get it done in the postseason. I guess that's fair because Michigan State was the last Big Ten team to win a national title in 2000. Maryland won in 02 when they were still in the ACC. But, man, from what we saw this week in Indianapolis, Big Ten's a physical conference. And a team like Indiana, if they're on the 8-9 or 7-10 line, could totally see them knocking somebody off. They knocked off Illinois uh, yesterday in a really good game that we watched down the stretch. Mike Woodson deserves a lot of credit, but I'm going to really enjoy, even though Maryland's not going to be in the NCAA tournament, watching these Big Ten teams play. We've invested a lot of time watching them play all season, so I'll certainly be rooting for these teams the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Mike Woodson, like Kevin was saying, deserves a lot of credit for what he did this season. I mean, this was his first year as a head coach, never has coached college before, came back home to Indiana and took this team from, at the end of the regular season, they were a bubble team, they weren't sure if they were going to make the NCAA tournament. Now that's solidified because they knocked off one seed, Illinois, and then they made it neck and neck with Iowa today, had an insane game with them. Um, Trace Jackson Davis has been stellar. And they held Iowa to a buzzer beater. Jordan Bohannon's obviously insane. He's known for dropping 30 points and 10 threes on Maryland in the past. Um, So this Iowa team looks scary. Um, I can see Purdue-Iowa going all the way to the championship for the Big Ten, if depending on how Purdue does tonight, and that would be really entertaining to watch. Um, But nine teams from the Big Ten go into the NCAA tournament and one of them's not Maryland. I don't think that's something that anyone saw coming in the preseason when they were ranked 
21st in the country, or 20th in the country? 21st. 21st, yeah. yeah. 20th after week one. But yeah, that's not something anyone saw coming. Um, but maybe this is the year that they break the Big Ten curse and have a Big Ten team in the championship and get a national title. Who do you guys think is the team that can get that done? I think Purdue or Iowa. Yeah, I mean, that's where it starts is, is Purdue. They We've talked about it all week, you and I, Kevin, especially one of the most talented team, if not the most talented, one of the most talented teams in the entire Big Ten. I mean, we got to see Jaden Ivey last night and he is just unreal so I think we, we, we talked about it Matt Painter one of the best coaches in all of college basketball and he was talking about it last night in his post game at the end of a very late night that it's time to to get to those benchmarks the final four or even the championship game so Purdue for me is the team but just in all I've watched of Iowa this year, the way that they shoot, it would not be surprising to me at all if they made a deep march run. Yeah, and uh, future Washington Wizard Jaden Ivey, that's, that's my guy. We, are, uh, we went to the press conference yesterday, and, uh, in, and Jaden Ivey obviously has been super impressive for me, and so I, I, I like Purdue. Uh, I, as you said, Matt Painter is a, uh, a, a great coach. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if I trust Illinois in the postseason. Kofi Coburn's great, but um, they've had some. They've had some questionable losses, and um, you know, Iowa to me, obviously, us being from Maryland, we watched them absolutely cook the Terps uh, in College Park. Put up one of the most points ever in uh, the Xfinity Center's history. So they have the potential to really run you out of the building with their shooting and, and with their offense in general. And with Bohannon being a, what is he, the, is this a, his 11th year playing college basketball, seems like? Yeah, they, um, I mean, they just said it on the CBS broadcast that he's played more college games than anyone ever. Yeah, that, he's crazy. he's literally, he's going to have gray hair by the time he, uh, by the time he leaves college basketball. But uh, having that presence and that guy who can take those shots that we just saw him bank in the game-winning three, uh, I wouldn't count Iowa out. And Keegan Murray is is um, he's right on the level of of a Jaden Ivy. He's a he's an extremely talented talented young player. So as we were saying, Purdue and Iowa are probably the favorites. But um, Indiana can make a run as we've seen. You know, Rutgers, if they if they squeeze into the tournament, they I mean, Ron Harper Jr. is a is a great, great young player. So the Big Ten has a lot of a lot of potential, but you can never make anything. You can never, nothing's ever certain in March, as we know. Anyone can go down at any time. So um, who knows? The Big Ten's notorious, at least recently, for not really producing in the Elite Eights, the Final Fours, the national championships. Uh, but we'll see what happens this year. We've got we've gotten to see at least I have um, more than I've ever seen in my life Big Ten basketball up close and personal. So we, you see just how talented these guys are. So who knows what's going to happen? But I think I'm going to go with if, if any team was going to make a Final Four run, I would say it's future Washington Wizard Jaden Ivey. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean you can't forget about a team like Wisconsin too. Even though they're kind of backing into the NCAA tournament right now, losing to Nebraska and not clinching the Big Ten title outright on Sunday, and then falling to Michigan State last night, Johnny Davis not a hundred percent. He'll have some time for sure to 
uh, freshen up and get ready for the tournament. I don't love Wisconsin, but I think they have a very similar makeup to Iowa, where they have the veteran in Brad Davison and, and the star in Johnny Davis, a very cohesive team. So you can't forget about them. But yeah, again, a lot of fun watching all these teams compete this weekend. One team that nobody has mentioned to this point, uh, Michigan. They bowed out early of the Big Ten tournament, but they could be a team that catches fire somehow once the NCAA starts. And would it shock anybody here if they made a deep run? No, it, it wouldn't shock me one bit. I mean, they are such a talented group. Obviously, they haven't been able to put it all together. Um, and they lost to Indiana very early, and that's something that Juwan Howard was very disappointed in because um, the Big Ten tournament for a lot of teams is a tune-up for the NCAA tournament, and when you're playing your rivals, um, that's when you get the be- you're supposed to get the best production, and they couldn't couldn't pull through with the victory. But they've got pieces, and any any team with talent is is dangerous, and they're gonna, I mean, probably sneak in most likely sneak in as uh but you never know with march and you never know with michigan michigan uh is a group full of young young studs so um i i wouldn't be surprised if if they make an impromptu run despite being bounced early from the big 10 tournament yeah we were saying after they got knocked out by indiana it's looking like and what i think the committee will do is put them in the playing games the first four in which would make them probably an 11 seed which is where Michigan State was last year when they fell to UCLA who went all the way to the final four the second team to do that go from first four in to the final four VCU did it and I, I believe the first year of the first four in 2011 but yeah that wouldn't shock me either I think that's where they're going to be I'm not the committee but that's my prediction and uh what's in the box <laughs> so, uh, little little aside, Doug Gottlieb was in the uh, Big Ten media workroom on Thursday, hosting the herd, filling in for Colin Coward on Fox Sports Radio, just screaming about the NFL while Juwan Howard was doing his press conference. And I I'd never seen anything like it. It was really funny. Yeah, that was. That was... Every, everyone kind of turned their heads. And... I was like, I wonder if that popped up in the audio recording over there. <laughs> and so you kind of let us right into it, Kevin. I, I want to close this, this one out kind of by, it's been a long three days, and I want to ask everyone if you had to try to pick one moment that just kind of stuck out to you from the entire tournament, just as being a reporter, being a person that was there, having a, a press credential, what is one moment that you think you'll take away from this tournament for a while and anyone can start? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. One moment that really stuck out to me, um, this is my first season covering college basketball, and so I've never had the chance to be so up close and personal with coaches, with, with athletes. I mean, it was hard for me to contain my my inner child when I was watching Tom Izzo speak at the post-game press conferences just because that's a guy that I've been watching since I was a little kid and now I get to see him up close but the moment that really stuck out for me is we were in the tunnel um, at one point I don't remember what what game I think it was after Northwestern lost 
and I was walking, I was walking back from the tunnel up to the media room or somewhere, and I saw Pete Nance sitting on a trainer's table with his jersey still on after the game, just in tears. And that's something that fans don't don't see. You don't see that that those behind the scenes things. Um, unless, unless you're right there up close and personal. And he was having a very emotional moment. And, um, and you know, a lot of times players will go back to their locker rooms and, and get all their emotions out and then come and be stoic at the press conferences. But we saw, I, I know I saw, I don't know if you guys saw as well, he was very, very emotional. And that was just a powerful moment to me. Just and I was thinking about all the stuff we don't see behind the scenes when you're just watching either as a fan, as someone that's watching on TV, or if you're just up in, up in the rafters. So that was a really powerful moment for me, something that'll stick with me as I continue to, uh, to cover the Big Ten and basketball and sports in general. Yeah, I think we saw emotions that we're not used to seeing a couple of times because this is the end of the road for a lot of players and a lot of teams. Like Penn State last night, Micah Shrewsbury and John Hara came in in tears, um, hugging each other up at the podium um, because that was it for them after one year. We've talked extensively about the job that Micah Shrewsbury's done. But for me, my moment, Noah, you alluded to it, even though it was after the Maryland loss, we were kind of all dialed in on that and breaking that down from the Terps' perspective. But I really loved hearing from Tom Izzo because I have so much respect for him as does everyone else first of all I liked when he name dropped Magic Johnson and he made fun of himself for doing so that he talked to Magic on Wednesday night before they started playing in the Big Ten tournament but Tom Izzo's been around forever and the one moment during that press conference was when Max Christie said that he wasn't in their right headspace on Sunday when they played Maryland and he was struggling mentally to be in the moment and then on Thursday obviously he went out and had that great game and Izzo was asked about it after Christie had left the stage and he said the moment when you talk to a college athlete and you know something clicks and they turn it around and they make things happen on the floor that's the greatest feeling as a coach. I just thought that was really cool, especially for a guy like Izzo, who's coached over 100, probably 200 players uh, in his time as a head coach, still doing it, you know, well into his 60s with an 18-year-old kid who was able to figure it out. And them having that moment after the game was really cool to see. Yeah, um, I'm going to kind of go off what both Noah and Kevin have said. Um, I've always been a really big believer in athletes are human beings. They have incredible stories to tell. They have feelings and emotions that, you know, when you can get it out of them, it can create something really special in your writing and your video pieces. Um, I've always tried to do that with make my gamers more interesting than just play-by-play. -play. I want to tell their stories. Um, so it's cool to see and it was cool to see it in a bigger stage like the Big Ten tournament because I mean we've always just done regular season games and sometimes a tournament game if it's close to home um, but I think my moment was when the Maryland game was about to it was before it started um, I was kind of just walking around the court and I kind of just took it all in um, and this is going to be 
nostalgic and emotional of me, but I'm about to graduate, um, you know, dealing with career stuff, life stress. And for me, that was a moment where I kind of just looked around. I was like, I'm in Gainbridge Fieldhouse. I am in a place where the Indiana Pacers play. Um, I'm on this huge stage. I'm covering this huge game. I get to do these incredible things. Um, I've learned so much from it. And this was my last time covering Maryland basketball. Um, so it was kind of hit me all at once, um, but in like a fun, nice way. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of just out of nowhere. I was, I just kind of realized, you know, everything I've done has kind of led me here. Um, student reporters, we work so hard and, you know, the athletes see that, the coaches know that. Um, and it was just cool that 12 of us got to experience that together from Maryland. Um, we all had a lot of fun together these past few days. Um, but yeah, that was my emotional gross thing. Um, second place goes to <laughs> Micah Shrewsbury saying that when he got home last night, he was going to put on his footy pajamas and drink Dr. Pepper. So that got my second place award. Yeah, and then for me, I mean, Kevin, you kind of alluded to it. That, that last press conference with Izzo, for me, I when we got down there, a bunch of the other reporters, I said, I'm going to sit on the front row, which looking back was probably not the best spot in that room to sit just because of the way the players were set up. But I said, I'm just going to sit in the front row. That way I can try to get a question in. And I ended up getting one with uh, Coach Manning. But then when Izzo came in, where he was sitting, I was directly one-on-one with him. And uh, of all the legendary college basketball coaches when I was younger, he was the one that I just kind of decided I liked. Him and Jim Beheim were the ones that I liked the most. It wasn't Coach K, not Roy Williams, but those two. And so to just to sit like basically right in his line of sight and be one-on-one with him while he gave what was a classic Izzo press conference was one of those moments where it's like if you would have told me when I was 12 or 13 years old that this is what I would be doing at 21 I would have pinched myself I wouldn't believe it so I think that that's an important thing to do while we're doing all this work and working this hard to cover this team and this this league is to take those moments to to you haven't made it yet necessarily, but you've worked hard to get to this point and to kind of just reflect on it all in the moment. But that'll about do it for this car ride pod, this this post-breakdown uh, pod. Um, Noah, do you have anything left before we sign off? Yeah, no, I was just going to ask uh, Kevin if uh, he wanted to play some Charlie Puth uh, to, to close us out here. Yeah, we can. I mean, Charlie Puth was the entire playlist yeah. on the way here. Light Switch was number one. We are his number one fans. So yeah. Um, we're, we're all pooters. So. <laughs> um, no, but, but seriously, though, this was this was a ton of fun. And uh, shout out to Kevin for driving us the it was nine hours there and nine hours back. Um, and I was so grateful to, to meet and uh, to, to meet new people, but also to with the other Maryland s- student journalists. Um it's, it's, it's so cool to have a, a close connection with people that have gone through the same things that you've gone through. Student journalists go through so much. There's so much work that you put in. So when we were there yesterday and Marilyn was out and we just decided to stay and say, you know what, we're just going to soak it all in. We've got our press passes and we're just going to watch some really good basketball. And to do it with, with um, these three people in the car that I really respect a lot is uh was a really cool was a really cool trip and a trip that i won't forget so that was uh 
uh, a ton of fun. And shout out to all the other student reporters from other Big Ten schools. We really enjoyed meeting a lot of them. Yeah. Um, a lot of people that work hard. Uh, I know Logan went on a pregame show with Michigan State's uh, student radio. Um, those are great guys over there. All together in one place. I know Noah and I are probably looking forward to doing it again next year. Um, it was just a ton of fun seeing everyone there working hard but ha having fun, having the time of our lives. Yeah, that's something else that doesn't get talked about very often. Um, there's a lot of student media at every Big Ten school, not just Maryland. And we all follow each other on Twitter, and we all know what each other look like. And, you know, we've had some people be guests on our on the Left Bench TV, on the show, do some segments with them, preview matchups. And we got to meet a lot of them that we've kind of just known virtually. So shout out to the Big Ten tournament for bringing us together. And that'll about do it for us on this episode of The Right Bench. Once again, Kevin and Katie just, I don't know if Noah and I have told you this enough, thank you for helping us bring writing to the left bench this year. I mean, experiences that I won't ever forget, I don't think you ever will forget them either, Noah. So one more time for The Right Bench, uh, thank you for listening, and that's it from the Big Ten Tournament. Turn me on Yeah. Oh,